So yesterday, our elders and deacons finished up an officer's retreat. It's the first one we've had since before COVID, so we were anxious uh, to meet, and we had just a really great time together. Um, It was a blessing to me uh, as your pastor, and we shared stories. We talked about uh, all the things that we love about this church. Uh, moments when we have seen God at work in our lives and in other people's lives. And uh, it's really, a lot of it was celebrating uh, what we feel God has done in this church. We also spent some time identifying a few blind spots. And uh, we did some dreaming about the future, uh, prayerfully considering where God might lead us together as a church. And I'm excited to tell you this morning that we've decided to open up nominations for uh, new elders and deacons. And so we're, um, you know, it worked out pretty good because in God's providence, we just so happened to be in the middle of 1 Timothy. And this morning we're on 1 Timothy chapter 3, um, which is uh, the perfect place to be because we're going to talk about What are the qualifications for men who are called to serve as deacon or elder? And uh, what I want you to do is I want you to carefully consider the qualifications that are listed in the Bible as you pray about who you might nominate. And so if you are an adopted uh, member of Christ Fellowship, then uh, anyone, young or old, um, can nominate uh, a man to serve in one of those roles. And you can do that either by going online to uh, onehornlake.org slash nominate uh, or in Espanol, nombra, okay, so onehornlake.org slash nombra. And uh, there's also some paper forms on the back uh, table. But I want you to consider these qualifications. And we're going to start by reading the first 13 verses of 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is God's. This is God's word. It says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, Not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For someone does not know how to manage his own household. How will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit. And fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first 
and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons also be the husband of one wife, managing their children in their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, that's our text for today. So uh, for our purposes, the word overseer that you saw uh, is used interchangeably in the Bible with the word elder. And we believe, uh, Presbyterians believe that it's the same office. And so I'm going to stick with the word elder since that's what we call them here at Christ Fellowship. And so elders, uh, just to describe what this office means, elders are primarily responsible for the spiritual needs of the church, okay, teaching and shepherding the members of the church. Uh, Deacons are primarily responsible for uh, serving the physical needs of the church, so through mercy and service, um, not just of our members, but also of helping the church serve its local community. So the Apostle Paul highlights for us in these 13 verses at least four basic qualifications. We kind of put them in groups. Four basic qualifications for elders and deacons. And as you notice, the lists are very similar. There's a little bit of difference between the two, but uh, very similar lists. And first, we are looking for men who are called. We are looking for men who are called. Paul says in verse 1, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So we know that Paul cannot be referring to worldly ambition when he says aspire. Because he very specifically condemns that in other places. And so instead, I think of this as, and if you look at everywhere in the Bible, it is God who calls men to positions of service. Men never call themselves, right? So you don't come to the church and say, God called me to be a pastor and the church doesn't see that or doesn't recognize that or doesn't um, kind of affirm that call, okay? But there is a desire to serve. There is an inward call. There is a, a willingness to serve in the role that you believe God has called you to serve in. The desire is not for the office or the position because according to Paul, it says the desire is for the task or the work. And that's an important distinction, right? So it's not that you want to be an elder or a deacon, but that you want to do the work of an elder or a deacon, that you feel called to that work. So how do we know if a man is called? Well, I think Paul's telling us we look at his life. Does he enjoy the work? 
of the church? Is he already doing the job of an elder or a deacon without the title, without the recognition, without that that rubber stamp, right? And so over and over, Jesus uh, teaches his disciples that leadership is not a position, it's not a title, it's not an opportunity for us to lord it over the people that we're called to care for. Instead, leadership in the Bible is described as service. So we're not aspiring to be recognized. We're not aspiring to have authority. We are aspiring only to serve God as we feel God is calling us to serve. As D.L. Moody once said, we only work for one person. And so leadership in the church then is is not something that you surrender to. We don't use that language in our church because I don't think it's the right way to think about a call to ministry. We're not surrendering to it. Nobody's having to twist your arm uh, to get you to do the work. It will be a delight for the one whom God calls to do the work. And so I want to say to the men of this church, both those who are already elected and those who are not, as you're considering these things, if you don't want to do the work, then you are not called to do the work. If you're not already doing it in some ways, then you aren't called to the office. And I would say to the rest of the church, You're looking for men who enjoy serving. Men who are already doing the task to which they've been called. That's what calling means. Okay, so we're looking for men who are called. Secondly, we're looking for men of good character. And as I read the list of qualifications that the Apostle Paul gives in 1 Timothy 3 and also in Titus chapter 1, This seems to be his primary concern, right? That we're looking for men of good character. The trouble is that character is not just what someone appears to be. Character is defined as who someone really is. What are they really like? And this was actually a problem in the early church, in Corinthians especially. Paul says that, you know, the people who are serving this church are gifted, but they lack character. So you're good at doing the things, doing the Christian stuff, but you lack love, you lack character. And so this is important to God that we look at Uh, more than just the gifts of a person, right? The world that we live in tends to look at gifted people, people with a lot of skill. That's who we put in positions of leadership in the world, the the most well-spoken, the most uh, intelligent maybe, or the people who seem the most successful in the world's eyes get the honor. But not in the Bible. God 
wants us to focus not on a person's worldly success or business skill or, you know, a a golden tongue, right? Ultimately, he's asking us to look at, to focus on a man's character. But how do we see someone's character? I want to suggest to you the only way to really see and evaluate what, what we're asked to look for is to see it through relationships. How can you know if someone is self-controlled? How can you know if someone is gentle and not violent? How can you know if someone is a lover of money or not, right? You're not going to see any of that on a Sunday morning at 1030. It's impossible to gauge only in worship. We need men who are going to show us who they are in real relationships with God's church. We talked about yesterday how there are 70-something one-anothers in Scripture. This is how God envisions His church, is that we are loving one another, that we are knowing one another. And so we're looking for men who aren't afraid to be known by God's church. Their, Their character must be visible to us. Their lives must be on display. There is nothing to hide, right? Paul specifically uses the word hospitable, and I think that's rather important. It was very important in the early church because that's where they had church. (laughs) They didn't have the building that we all associate with the church. They had the elders' homes. That's where they met. And so it was especially important that these men be willing to open their homes to people. And so he says, you have to be hospitable. Now, of course, and I want to say, I want you to hear me say, this is not a standard of perfection. None of it. So we don't look at this, this list of qualifications and think, you know, these are the upper echelon Christians necessarily, right? These are the, you know, we're not looking for the standard of perfection. In fact, Paul has already described himself as what? The chief of sinners in chapter 1. Same letter, right? So in a very real sense... If we're going to be honest, there's not one man in God's church who is really qualified to lead God's church except the Lord Jesus. And really and truly, we believe in our church that Jesus is the only true head and king of his church. And yet he still calls sinful men like me. To be a part of kind of his being his under shepherds. And so uh, it's not a standard of perfection. Instead, it's a question here of reputation. Notice that Paul uses the words above reproach. And he says that they have to have a good reputation with outsiders. And so does this man then have a reputation of being violent? Is he known to be quarrelsome? Is he known to be a drunkard? Is he respected? If he's married, does his wife think that he should serve as an elder 
or a deacon. And by the way, I know it says husband of one wife. Um, I'm convinced in my study of Scripture that doesn't mean that the man has to be married. Instead, it is more a statement of he's a one-woman man. Okay, There are no mistresses. There's no side people, right? Um, you know, that, that he is committed to one relationship, right? No, no polygamy going on, that kind of thing. Um, and if you have questions, we can talk about that. But um, if he's married, does his wife think that he should serve as an elder or deacon? What would his friends say about it, right? Do his friends think he drinks too much or that he is a violent man? And so we ask these questions because, and we will ask these questions, by the way. We ask these questions because the character qualification is meant to be a protection for God's church. And they're going to be difficult decisions to make. There may be heavy discussions if you're nominated. Things that will be had confidentially, but yet we still have to talk about because we want men of character representing Christ fellowship. We don't want men who come in with quick tempers and an axe to grind and you know want to strong arm um, the rest of us for some intent or purpose. So church, uh, or men rather, if you lack character, then God is not calling you to be an elder or a deacon. Church, I encourage you to look for men of good character and good reputation. So if you don't know him, don't nominate him. Okay? Number three. Apostle Paul tells us to look for competent men. Okay? So men of calling, men of character, and men of competency. Paul says that both elders and deacons must be able to manage their household well. Elders must not be recent converts. Um, deacons must be tested before they serve. And all of that is a measure of competency, right? Can they do the job? If a man's household is not well ordered, then how can we expect him to manage the church, Paul says? If the man is a recent convert, then how can he shepherd other Christians towards spiritual maturity? without becoming prideful, as we know is the great temptation at the core of all humanity, right? And so these are important things. There's also an additional qualification for elders. It says this is the only real difference that I can find between the two offices is that the elders must be able to teach. They must be able to teach. They must be able to share in the ministry of the word now, I don't believe that that necessarily means they have to be a good preacher, okay? Uh, but they must be able to help lead the discipleship efforts of the church. They must have um, a, a demonstrated ability to handle God's word. And that ability needs to be tested, okay? Can they teach God's word? Can they... Um, do they know and understand the doctrines that we believe? Um, and so there is a higher standard there for elders to be able to do this. 
So, man, if you haven't been tested, then you are not being called. We do not want to make someone an elder or a deacon hoping that one day they will learn how to do the job, right? Or that now they're going to take the Bible seriously. Now they're going to learn doctrine because they've been elected. No, no, no. We don't want that, okay? We want you to be prepared and to be ready and to be tested and to be called. And so these things need to be considered. So if you have not been tested, then you have not been called. Uh, church, the men who are already demonstrating an ability to do the good to do the job that they've been called to, that have already demonstrated a love and a commitment to God's word, uh, these are who you should want to serve in these roles. Okay, so look for competent men. And then finally, number four, we're looking for Christian men. They have to be Christians. Now, that may seem obvious, but it absolutely needs to be said. Okay? The kind of maturity that we need to see is that the men who serve the church as elders and deacons have a, dim, a demonstrated and an obvious and a real faith in Jesus Christ. That you can see in their lives a sense that they are living lives of faith and repentance. Because the kind of maturity, the kind of character that we're looking for only happens biblically through that kind of faith. That fruit does not just get conjured up in a self-righteous way. And if you sense that that's what's happening, that's not who you want to nominate. Okay, So it's not a product... These qualifications are not a product of self-righteousness or pride. It's something that is produced by faith and repentance. And it is steeped in humility. And so honestly, if there's one thing you're looking for that's probably the chief among all things, it is a sense of humility. If that's not there, be careful. Apostle Paul is going to end his letter to Timothy with several warnings. He's going to say, Timothy's sin very often hides in darkness. He's going to tell Timothy that some men are very good at hiding their real motives. He's going to tell Timothy that some who seem to be Christians are not. And so we must be careful to choose men who are more than just outwardly religious. It's more than just being at church. It's more than just looking the part. All of the qualifications that Paul gives us should be understood as the fruit or the evidence of a deeply changed and changing life because they are the fruit of the gospel. Some of that evidence can be faked, right? But the humility and the confidence that are found in Jesus Christ is not something that people can fake. Remember again in chapter 1, Paul calls himself what? 
the chief of sinners. This is a man who we would say is probably the most important leader in the history of God's church, other than Jesus himself. But the Apostle Paul had no agenda to make much of himself. He did not lead from pride, or self-righteousness, or arrogance. He was humble. Now, at the same time, he was not afraid to stand up for the truth. He did not back down from a fight over things that he saw as important for the sake of the gospel. He was not afraid to fight for the unity and the purity and the peace of God's church. And so I think this is what the gospel does to us. We make less of ourselves, but we make more of Christ and more of His church, just as Jesus Christ Himself humbled Himself on the cross for His church. And so this is really, I think, the most important qualification. Do not consider men who only want to look good, who only want to be seen doing these things. It's not the kind of aspiring that we're looking for. Look for men who will point you to Jesus. Look for men who will help you see Jesus. Because that's what the job really is. And so I say to those who are called, help us to see Jesus in your works, in your words, in your lives. And church, please choose men who want you to see Jesus. Because Christ Jesus is the only true head of His church. And may He lead us in wisdom and protect us from the enemy who seeks to destroy and devour this church. Let's pray. Gracious Father, We know that the entire um, universe is upheld by Your Word. Lord Jesus, we know that You have built Your church by the shedding of Your own blood. You've called us into Your kingdom. You've given us a place, a seat at Your table. You have arranged a way for us to be united to You. Restored in relationship to God the Father. And we believe that it is Holy Spirit that unites us. That guides us. And as much as we stay true to Your Word. walking in faith and repentance. We pray, Lord, that You would bless this church with men who are humble, men of good character, men of calling, competent men, Christian men. Lord, we pray for this. We ask You for it. We we need Your guidance. If this church is to flourish, if it is to grow, then we must remain grounded and rooted 
in Christ. We must remain united in Christ. Help us to see the ways in which we have failed one another. The ways in which we have let our pride rule us. The ways in which we have hidden ourselves from truth and authenticity in our lives. And I pray that you would help us to trust more fully in your spirit to guide and direct this church for your glory. We pray in your name. Amen. The table that is... um,